Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standard, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. I, I even was doing that last week while I was on vacation, and you're gonna like, dude, what kind of vacation is that? Well, look, to be honest, I don't really consider the podcast, the talking part of it, work, and even though I did my best to get away from thinking about the Commanders for a few days, I took Twitter off my phone and everything, I still have thoughts. I still was, you know, wasn't wasn't completely separating myself from the world. So rather than at times just simply vent or rant or talk to Lenny about this team, I decided to hit up a couple people. So on Friday, I spoke with Brad Spielberger, salary cap expert for Pro Football Focus, who's been here uh, a guest on this podcast several times now. I had Brad on to get into a few things, including what do we make of Washington spending habits? Does this potentially signal anything about what's going on with ownership? And then the bigger topic for me was this idea that seems to be out there that because Washington is not extend or is not moving some of this Carson Wentz money back the twenty eight point three million to subsequent years is an indication that they are not fully committed to Carson Wentz. And I had took to task sort of this notion and had Brad along for the ride to see what he agreed with me or where he needed to set me straight. So a uh, fun conversation there. And since I was in a ranty mood, I hit up my guy, Chris Russell from the team 980. And of course, Chris is the afternoon uh, drive time co-host. He's also co-host of the locked on commanders podcast. Chris and I talked more about Carson Wentz But in addition, we talked about football because OTAs are starting this week. And it's important to, you know, consider what's going on with this team. And in particular, we we discussed what a Scott Turner offense might actually look like now that he has a quarterback capable of making all the throws. A fun conversation, as always, with Chris. We'll get to all that and more here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which, of course, you can find on iTunes, Spotify, the Athletic app, or anywhere you do your podcasting. If you and I always mention this, I always it's always sincere. I really appreciate everybody who leaves a rating and a review on iTunes. If you have a moment to do it, it doesn't take long and it really does help a lot. I promise you that. Um, so yeah, just just quickly, I did as I said, I stayed in town for the for my days off. I did not go away. Plans I had plans. They fell through. I decided to stay. There, there's more time coming up for some for some traveling, perhaps. We're not calling it a staycation. Terrible term. Don't don't do it. Don't 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 be that person. Just a, just a terrible term. Um, I, I I I tried my best to though get out of the house and do a few things. I had one rule when it came to food. If I ordered, if I got food, I went out for food. I had to go somewhere that I'd never been before. So that led led me to a few new places in Bethesda, a couple elsewhere in D.C as well so uh that was that was a fun wrinkle but i largely stayed uh true to um in addition i was able to attend some some different i went to some different places i haven't either been in a while or never had been or in one case an event that i would not potentially not normally have have been able to attend or at least not in a more chill way and that was uh the fight for children gala it was down at the Anthem. This was the reimagined version of the fight night that went on for years. Um, uh, so this was a fun event. It was a black tie affair. I was there, as I said, in, in a media perspective. Uh, notables there. 
Uh, let's see who who was there. Dikembe Mutombo was there. A ton of former Washington football players. Among them, uh, our friend Rick Doc Walker, who I recorded a podcast with last week. I encourage you to check that out if you have not heard it yet. Uh, who else? Gary Clark was there. Um, Vernon Davis was there. Vernon Dean was there. Yes, those are two different people. Uh, Julie Donaldson, of course, from the uh, team. Uh, was there uh, part of the radio broadcast as well as team president Jason Wright had a chance to catch up with some or or, or, or most of them uh, during the event. The host of the event was Chris Tucker. You know him. Uh, Jay Farrow from Saturday Night Live was part of the entertainment along with singer Aloe Black with Macklemore, the uh, closing act. I'll, I'll, I'll leave it up to you kids to decide if that was worthy of a uh, of, of a final act or not, but sure, I knew a couple of the songs at least, so I can leave it at that. Uh, some people, the other people there did not. So anyway, it was a fun event, and, you know, I thought sort of being there and, like, you know, switching into work mode a little bit as I was talking to some people would, would count as my work for the week, but there was a little bit more, not that I had to do, not that I had to work per se, but just had to think about it, and that was a report in the USA Today on Saturday night regarding... Um, owners around the league and what they're thinking and saying and perhaps doing regarding Dan Snyder. Uh, There's an article from Jared Bell, obviously a longtime notable uh, NFL writer uh, for years and years. Uh, Among the quotes in this story, one, there's a growing... This is a quote from an owner. There's growing frustration about the Washington situation and not over one issue, but over how much smoke there is, end quote, an NFL team owner told USA Today, under the condition of anonymity, continued the quote, quote, I think everybody's getting tired of it. Then it says later, a fourth team owner, also speaking under the condition of anonymity, anonymity, (laughs) told USA Today that the recent issues regarding the potential double books going on with the finances of the, of the commanders is, is also been concerning. And it says here, quote, we are counting the votes. The team owner said by counting the votes, the message is clear. Bell writes, some would support an ouster forcing Snyder to sell his franchise for what would likely be a record amount. It would take 24 votes, three fourths of the NFL ownership, NFL's ownership membership to pass a measure to oust Snyder from the club. And needless to say, this has gotten people worked up and excited and, and and so on. And I understand that for sure. I would just say that I don't know if my viewing this is particularly moving the story along as much as people may want to think. Now, that said, the story is coming out right as NFL owners are supposed to be meeting this coming week, I believe Tuesday and Wednesday. And we'll see if this is actually an indication that there will be a more aggressive conversation about Dan Snyder, and also about how Roger Goodell has handled this. Part of the story involved owners questioning Goodell from the, from terms of the punishment on Dan Snyder, from the original harassment story allegations that originally came out in 2020. Punishment was handed down in 2021, a $10 million fine, and Sort of Dan Snyder stepped away, but really he didn't do he didn't step away as we've discussed before. 
So we'll see where this goes. I, as I said, I'm not really convinced that this is much of a story in that it's notable, but we've already had previous reporting of the owners, some owners wanting to, you know, p- p- perhaps get Dan Snyder out. But as again, as a reminder, it takes three quarters of these owners to get somebody out. That's 24 votes you're going to need to do that. I just still think I, I would imagine we are still ways away from that happening. But it's another story that mentions the idea that there are people out there who are open to moving on from Dan Snyder or at least having that conversation. And that's not something we would have had in years past. So it's notable to that extent, but I wouldn't go as it stands now on Sunday night. I wouldn't get too worked up over this being some big bombshell the way I think some people were portraying it. But it's another chain. It's another link in the chain of the conversation regarding Dan Snyder's future and why that perhaps could be dicey, but we will see about that. But again, this week, the owners are supposedly going to get together Tuesday, Wednesday. So we'll see what comes out of that conversation. Beyond that, OTAs again start this week. At at this point on Sunday night, they have not made any additional moves. No no linebackers, etc. Kind of keep waiting for that to happen, but it hasn't at this point. Um, so we'll just all of this is of course discussed in part of the, in the episode today. And I will note, I'll have a new article up on the athletic, I believe for Monday morning on uh, regarding Cole Holcomb and how he's gone from being overlooked to now indispensable. When you look at the roster here for Washington. Um, all right, let's uh, let's get to this. I, I guess I said a long, uh, but really enjoyable chat. went back to back first, Brad Spielberger, then Chris Russell, uh, I'm excited to have you guys hear this, and I want to know what you think of my various takes and rants and so on. Hit me up at Ben Standig, of course, on Twitter, or email me, bstandig at theathletic.com. Some of you do that occasionally, and I really do uh, appreciate it. I, I need to probably get a little bit better about responding in quickly, but I really do. I read everything, and I appreciate all the responses. And, of course, you can follow Brad Spielberger on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad and Chris Russell is at WrestleMania 621. So let's get into this. We'll start talking salary cap, Carson Wentz's contract, and more with Brad Spielberger. And then it's football, football, football with Chris Russell here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. As promised, joining me here on the podcast to help discuss the Washington Commanders from the uh, finances perspective. We're talking the football finances, not the congressional stuff, unless he's got some takes on that too. Um, he is, of course, one of the uh, the go-to guys on this topic, uh, covers salary cap and other fact, other uh, matters for Pro Football Focus. And I'd like to say, this is an example of my talent scouting. He, he was already on the radar, but like I feel like I helped incorporate him into the DC market. Now he's everywhere. He's on every show at all times. He is Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. Um, Brad, how are, how, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing well, and that's definitely true. Thank you for, uh, you know, helping me break into the D.C. market. I appreciate it. Oh, uh, look, you, you know, you got to you, you had to you, you put yourself out there. I just was like, hey, this guy, he knows what he's talking about. Now, like I said, I am on vacation and you're like on everybody's show this week, which is fantastic. Happy to see it. Um, And there's a reason why people are interested in talking to you beyond the usual salary cappy kind of questions. And that is Washington situation is odd, uh, to say the least. They made the big move for Carson Wentz a couple months ago at this point, taking on his $28.3 million salary for this year. And they've been really quiet since. 
And it's gotten the, the level of quiet's gotten heightened this week when, when James Bradbury signs with the Eagles after being released by the Giants. And how come, you know, Washington doesn't go get this ex Carolina player? Is it the money? Is it other factors? Is it Carson Wentz's salary that Ron Rivera keeps talking about? I have issues with some of the things that are being discussed out there in the world. And that's why I wanted to discuss this in more detail with you. Um, l- let me just start with this broadly, though. I feel like one topic that I've been bringing up now for a few weeks that is still not getting enough attention is it's not the salary cap. It may be the actual cash flow that's coming from top down. I asked Ron Rivera at the owners meeting at the point when the Terry McLaurin's extension was starting to become a bigger topic. Are you being I was like, I was like, I, you're the football guy, but are you being instructed from above that there's you've got a, a, a legit budget here? He said, no, 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 no. We're, we're just being conscious of the salary cap and so on. Well, here we are weeks later, and they've really done nothing else. So I'm curious from your perspective, what do you see from the outside as to why Washington is not been that aggressive and from the money perspective? Yeah, you know, I do think that the the true constraint in NFL roster construction is cash most of the time. I mean, of course, you want to have a healthy salary cap. You want to think a couple of years in the future and and never prevent yourself from being able to make any move because of the cap. But Washington right now is spending the 10th least amount of money in cash on their 2022 roster. And as you mentioned, they did basically nothing in free agency. They had the second most, uh, excuse me, second fewest dollars spent on external free agents, which, you know, you could say maybe they spent a a bunch on their internal guys, but obviously they let Brandon Sheriff go. They've made some cuts on some players as well. So, yeah, you know, I do think there are some cash constraints in play here. So there's this thing called the funding rule in the NFL. And again, this is why we have you here to explain it in, in smart layman, if not in layman's terms, and I won't even really try. But it is something I've heard from agents over the time that can be a bit of a hindrance. And they would like I've had agents I've asked questions like if you could change any one thing, what would it be? And some have pointed to the funding rule because it affects how teams spend money to your point in terms of the cash. Could you explain the funding rule and whether you think whether you you may not know exactly, but based on what you see how that could potentially be a factor of what Washington is dealing with. Yeah, no, 100%. So I can tell you, I've also spoken with agents, and I, and I can actually tell you that during the last CBA negotiation, excuse me, <clears throat> uh, in 2020, they actually tried to either change or basically remove this rule. And so at a very high level, all it is is that when you fully guarantee money in future years of a contract, you have to put a substantial portion of that money into an escrow account. So it was created in the early days of the NFL and probably was very necessary, you know, back when maybe owners couldn't live up to deals and, and they wanted to make sure players were getting taken care of and not, you know, losing out on, on revenue. So now it's probably not super necessary, but what it does is owners can basically use it as a, a crutch to say, well, I'd love to guarantee more money for you in future years, but I just don't have the liquidity and the cash to just put a bunch of money aside. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I think there are some clubs, particularly the ones that are owners don't have another revenue stream, you know, Stan Kroenke in LA with his Walmart money. He's not concerned about the, the funding rule. Um, maybe in Washington, there is a concern of, we don't have the ability to put all this cash away for, for the future. Yeah. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before um, we started about how this rule may be impacts say family businesses more than, like you mentioned, Kroenke, who has a sort of this outside money. Again, Dan Snyder, last year, he, he and essentially his family bought out the other minority owners. So they own the whole deal now, and that's a ton of money. And, you know, when you're watching also what's happening with the stadium situation, it's clear they don't have the money to just say, 
well, screw everybody else. We're going to spend $2 billion to go do what we want to do. So I do think there's a question here. And like, we'll get to Terry McLaurin in a minute. But as an example of that one, if he signs the four-year $100 million deal with, I'm making this up, $60 million in guarantees, right? So we're saying the $60 million got to go put in a in a box somewhere versus if he goes franchise tag, franchise tag, only the money for that year gets put in the box. So it's a difference between 60 million spread out over time versus 20 million at a crack, basically. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could look at Kirk Cousins, look at Brandon Sheriff, you know, that they are not super interested in, in guaranteeing money in future years. And even you mentioned that the McLaurin example, so a signing bonus, it probably wouldn't apply because that would get paid out you know, early on. So you look at a deal like Jonathan Allen, where the, the vast majority of the guarantees come via that signing bonus, they basically avoid having to put any money in escrow there as well. So it's all about upfront cash, which they can do, but just not wanting to put any money aside. Right. And I appreciate the clarification there. As I, as I state all the time with the money, don't, don't, don't look for me, but uh, I appreciate that. So let's get to those, the specifics here, right? So what, what everybody is saying here locally, in part because this is what Ron Rivera is trying to explain to us or tell us, is that when they made the Carson Wentz trade, everything kind of went nuts. They had to reassess everything. And because of that, you know, all of a sudden they didn't have any money and blah, blah, blah. Brad, this is nonsense. Here's why this is nonsense. Are we really to believe that they never thought to themselves, we have to spend money on a quarterback? But there's thus when they made the trade, uh, okay, we're making this trade. We're sending two day two picks. We're moving down a little bit in the second round to take on Wentz's deal three years. 28.3 million this year guaranteed and the rest of it not are we to believe that they never thought oh to get a real quarterback we'll have to spend they tried to get russell wilson i believe he's gonna cost he's costing more money uh than than um than, than carson wentz a- any quarterback they would have signed they would have wa- they would have wanted to give some sort of extension to lock that person in so the idea that this is like out of the blue is ridiculous now you can say they chose column a spend money on quarterback versus say column b kind of like where the Steelers landed on take Trubisky for, for, for not much draft a rookie combined. They'll make less money than Carson Wentz. That's fine. They chose another path, but this idea that they had like all of a sudden this thing blew up in their face is nuts. And we keep all weeks collectively or keep talking about it in this way, because that's the way of being framed. Thus the Carson Wentz contract is what's holding them back. I find this ridiculous. Now you can tell me that they don't have a ton of money because of it, it's not out of blue and it could do other things. And that so broadly guess your thoughts on my rant there. I mean, I would say this, that if it is true, that is a glaring red flag because most franchises are thinking, you know, several years into the future. They're, they're thinking of if we do X, then how does that impact ABC, XYZ? So yeah, if it is true, it's a, it's worse than if it's not true. I don't think it's true. Um, you know, I think owners like to kind of say, oh, well, we have this high price quarterback now, so everything becomes more difficult and sure in the margins. But no, there's no way they said, oh, well, now we're going to get this quarterback for, you know, like you said $28 million this year. And now everything is, is confusing and complicated. No, their cap manager, Rob Rogers, has been doing this for over 20 years. Um, I'm sure he, he has all different permutations and all these different ideas and, and different rabbit holes to go down. So, no, I'm not really buying that narrative. Right. And look, Rivera, just like I always say this, it's like covering a politician. They're going to sell you what they tr- what they have available to them. They, they're trying to push a, you know, some sort of a tax bill, you know, in, in Congress or, or hey, we, we want to tell you about this infrastructure package we're doing. They're going to sell those things. And they're going to ignore some of the other stuff. So Ron Rivera is saying, hey, we got the quarterback, but yeah, we, we, had, we couldn't do as many other things. And there's some truth to it, but not to the degree 
that everybody keeps rattling on around. Here's another thing that drives me insane. I don't, I don't know what you think about this. So we can debate whether they made a right trade to get Carson Wentz, right? A lot of people out there think he stinks or isn't very good or wasn't worth the risk or whatever. I don't know. We'll see. He's not the war. He, he's people don't live the life. People on the outside aren't here all the time. And you, you know, that people know that quarterback was been a problem here. You haven't, unless you lived it for all the different quarterbacks that have kept coming through here. You don't really appreciate it. Or even last year, Taylor Heineke was super fun and he, he maxed out probably to the best of his abilities, but he was also limiting to what you could do on offense. Carson Wentz gives you more options. This draft, as we saw, nobody liked these quarterbacks. There's lots of reasons why it makes sense to go get a guy. And Carson Wentz at the time was arguably the best guy to get. So whatever. The issue is how much did you pay to do it, both in terms of the draft picks and taking on the salary. But Brad, here's my, my case. I didn't love the giving up all the picks and taking on the full salary. It's like they paid sticker price when the Colts seemed to be in a position where they kind of had to do something. I suspect the Colts kind of fronted like, hey, we're going to do like the way the the Browns are doing that. We're not automatically going to release the guy. We'll wait and see what happens. And Washington decided we're just going to get going. Uh, people are the best part of the deal from Washington's end is the fact that after this year, Carson Wentz is guaranteed no money and that his salaries the next two years, if they keep him, are pretty reasonable for a starting quarterback, which if, he, if you keep him, presumably he did enough to justify keeping him. Those are the best parts of the deal. And people wanting to say, well, they should move money back on these other years to open up space now uh, is a sign that they're not that committed to him. I would argue it's a sign that they don't want to screw up the best part of the trade. Why would you put the money back why and, and also why reward the guy? He'll let him show that he can do it. It doesn't matter what you believe. It's stupid. Nobody believes in Carson Wentz, obviously, in generally in the league. Let him prove it. Fine. And keep the best part of the trade. Again, I'll stop my rant. That's what I think about that. What do you think? No, I'm with you there as well. I mean, that is the upside is that if you do want to have a clean exit after one year, again, not saying that that's what you think is going to happen, but if it, it, you have to prepare for that possibility, then yes, you have no you know dead cap pushed out into future years. I mean, the Lions, when they took on Jared Goff, did not do that, and maybe now they're, they're kind of stuck with him for one more year, and maybe they, if they went the Colts route like with Wentz, maybe they would have been aggressive and, and trying to make a move. You know, we don't know. But um, yeah, I would agree with you. At the end of the day, pushing cap into the future – they, they're going to have, you know, $20 million in 2022 cap space once Collins' money comes off the books in, in about 10 days here. So just not necessary. I'm with you on that one, too. Right. Great. The Landon Collins, people are acting like the Landon Collins' money isn't there. Now, I don't understand what they're doing with the Landon Collins' money. Now, maybe they believe that they have in, in, intel. I don't know that there will be literal post June 1 cuts, not just <laughs> doing it six weeks ago and saying it post June 1. Maybe people will physically wait until then. I don't know. It is kind of odd to me that they're, I don't know what they're even doing with that money. We can maybe discuss that as well, but all, yeah, all this is nuts. And, and people also, like I said, you're making an, ex, you're, you're taking around Rivera's excuse for the Carson Wentz deal, screwing them up and just saying, well, that's why they have, they should move the money back. No, there's other things they can do, or at least I think there is other things they can do. So I did sort of give you a little bit of a homework assignment and kind of said, all right, tell us what else they could potentially do here. Um, if they wanted to create more money, and, and again, I'm gonna, I'll have another point after this as to why I don't really think they're trying to create money, no matter what anybody is saying. But you tell me, are there other things? You don't have to go crazy, but are there other things that they could do that would seem pretty simple to you to generate some more money if they actually wanted to do that? 
Yeah, I mean, if there are guys that they do believe more in, uh, that they would be more comfortable pushing money down the line on, which they generally try to avoid doing regardless. But, you know, I've mentioned the two free agent signings from last year and William Jackson and Curtis Samuel. Obviously, neither had great 2021s, but both have their entire you know salary for this year is already guaranteed to begin with. So if you push it down the line, you know, in my opinion, it's it's less difficult to do that when the money's already guaranteed regardless, because you're kind of, you know, you're set with that money either way. So you could restructure either of those guys to clear some room. You could restructure a guy like Kendall Fuller, who's been a good player for them for a while. You could trade or, or extend Deron Payne. Um, yeah, there, there are a bunch of smaller moves. You're not going to clear as much as with a Carson Wentz, but still clear a decent amount of money if you do think that is an issue you have. Right. It just looks like a, as an example, like they signed Trey Turner right, recently to play guard. I kind of imagine he's the front runner to play right guard. West Whiter still here. You could cut West Whiter right now and get about four and a half million towards the cap. And no disrespect to West Whiter, I suspect we wouldn't, we wouldn't miss him. They have Sadiq Charles as another guard. I haven't looked at the Frasian guards for uh, uh, several days. I imagine somebody's out there in the Schweitzer realm. So they could clear money right there if they wanted to. Um, there's things they can do. It doesn't, it's not all about Carson Wentz. And I'm just sick and tired of everybody just fetching about this. When again, to, to move him money back ruins the best part of the Carson Wentz trade in my, in my opinion. Um, I already mentioned to you or mentioned, I don't quite understand the land and Collins uh, deal, but like, here's, um, here's the thing though, for me, people are focusing on this because they're not signing the James Bradbury, the world, the, the, the sort of the headliners. Again, in my humble opinion, this is the wrong way to look at this. You can make the argument, and I did months ago, that their starting 22 is kind of largely set, and it's kind of played out that way on defense. The only difference, effectively, is Landon Collins is out. Other than that, all the other starters are back. Debate whether you think that's good, because they weren't very good last year, but that's they did that. On offense, yeah, they swapped out the two guards and brought in two veteran guards. Brandon Scherf's the best of the lot, but they're probably reasonable there. And then other than that, yes, the, the quarterback switch. But other than that, everybody else is kind of the same, right? So they really didn't need to make massive deals. Again, I'm not saying they have pro bowlers at every position. I'm just saying they had a reasonable roster. The issue for me is the depth. If you point to the defense right now, Brad, and I tell you that Fedarian Math is their second-round pick, we'll just say he's a viable backup because he's a second-round pick. We haven't seen him play. You can't, to me, point to anybody else, not a single human being on defense, and say that player is a viable backup in this league. You can't. And that's why my issue. So my thing is, like, why are they not spending on the margins? Why are they not spending uh, sort of what they did with Trey Turner, but doing it more of that? Why, what, where are the guys getting $2 million a year? They, I don't know who their third linebacker is on first the first drive of the first year of 4-3 base. I don't know who's playing the linebacker next to Holcomb and, and Davis. So what about that aspect? Forget the bigger picture stuff, the, the, the depth and on the margins. Why are they doing those things? And that, I was going to jump to off-ball linebacker to start. So, you know, a good segue there. But yeah, and in my opinion, that's what free agency really should be about. And, and you touched on it. I think moving on from Sheriff and getting Trey Turner and, and Andrew Norwell, that, that's a slam dunk if you look at the value, right? I mean, those guys are making a fraction of what Sheriff's going to make this season alone. Uh, much less his entire contract. So yes, that is that's what free agency is about: is filling up holes, but also adding depth and just making sure if you do have injuries or even not injuries, just you have a couple guys that come in and can maybe take a spot in a pinch. Off ball linebacker as well. It is a spot where, as you mentioned, 
guys could come available later in the offseason. I think we see it a lot with guards, and I think we see it a lot with off-ball linebackers, some other positions where guys get into camp, some draft picks maybe stand out at those spots, and then we'll see cuts on solid veteran players, you know, the Kevin Pierre Lewis's of the world that, that can come in and, and play a role to an extent. So maybe they are still waiting for moves like that, but they should have been more active in those markets for sure. And, you know, I've been paying attention to the linebacker situation this whole offseason because we believed that's what they were going to address. There's still a bunch of names out there. Now, maybe they're just names and they're just not that great. But it, is, it isn't just Washington that has been, I guess, not that excited about these available players. So I guess sometimes maybe I even I have to sort of pull back and be like, hey, maybe there's something there's some method to their madness here of not going after these guys are you surprised or maybe you don't think this is a still a pretty good free agent class but it still feels like there's a decent amount of names across the board is that maybe i'm wrong is this sort of the normal the way it looks at may 20th or 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 is this a little bit deeper of a free agent group for some reason no i'm with you i actually think there are more available linebackers and again not any world beaters but you look at guys like joe schobert even alexander johnson from denver I mean, they're just names of guys that you can at least trust to play for you in a pinch. Maybe, you know, at lowest case, like an Anthony Hitchens with Kansas City, a bit of an older guy. But players that at the very least can be veteran presences, can help get the defense set. Maybe also some younger guys that could contribute on special teams. I think it is a deeper class of available linebackers. Like you said, maybe there's no kind of rush because there are a lot of, you know, mediocre options out there. Um so much to get to here still. And I, I, I mentioned in the intro before I brought you in, but you had an interesting piece up on, well, I guess you put it up on your Twitter feed uh, this week while I was uh, taking some time off. So I caught up with this. You, you basically have this thing. It's the first edition of the 2022 cap health rankings. Um, and you, you look at uh, different categories, including active draft capital, i.e. sort of how many rookie contracts uh, a team has, um, and where they were selected, you have effective cap space over the next three years, total prorated money, you've got top 51 roster valuation, and you've got 2023 on uh, uh, free agents of evaluation as well. Based on how we talk about the commanders, people might think, oh, well, they must stink. Actually, no, according to what you've got here, you've got them fifth when it comes to the cap health rank. Tell us what that means, though, and from what, what are you guys kind of ultimately looking at, and how does that really kind of apply to kind of maybe the things that we're discussing here? Yeah, I saw one NFL executive, he quote tweeted that and said, being a bad team, being at the top of this list isn't necessarily a good thing. And so I think that's where kind of Washington would fall in is, yeah, they are very help, healthy on the cap. I mean, they you mentioned the, the free agents outside of Deron Payne. They're not scheduled to lose, I think, anyone that's a significant contributor. Um, so that helps. And, and again, you would say, let's say you're a team like the San Francisco 49ers and you say, we didn't spend a lot in free agency because we have Nick Bosa and Debo Samuel going into the, you know, the end of their contracts. That's a legitimate excuse. Um, so they look good there. Their actual roster valuation is pretty strong. I think it's in part because they have such good offensive line and defensive line, and those are expensive positions. So it kind of boosts that up a little bit, but yeah, I mean, they don't prorate a lot of money. They're the third least amount of prorated money. So again, meaning not only do they have cap space right now and can clear more, but they're not like super leveraged, like the Eagles in the division where, you know, they have to kind of push everything down the line just to fit guys on the roster. That's not the situation Washington finds themselves in. Um, yeah, there is there is no excuse from a cap standpoint whatsoever. They are very healthy in terms of if they wanted to add more, you know, contracts on their books. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting list because, like you said, on the one hand, it looks hopeful and promising. On the other hand, maybe it's a, maybe it's not, as you said, an executive indicated where you want to be at the top. Because like, looking at the teams at the bottom, um, Saints thirty-two, Eagles thirty-one, Packers thirty, Buccaneers twenty-nine. Like those are arguably, you know, the four best teams, or you know, four of the best teams at least in the NFC that Washington is going to compete with, and not far behind are the Rams and the Cowboys. Uh, teams that you know seem like they've got pretty good pretty good rosters and, and still been able to make moves um so it's interesting to look at so go check out brad's uh twitter for more on this you have not put up an article on this right is it just uh, on your twitter feed yeah just just an article. it was an article last year but uh yeah just a tweet for now all right we're, we're gonna you know got the, your editor is gonna be yelling at you for that one um <laughs> All right, uh, l- let's get to Terry McLaurin in the last couple of minutes I have with you here. Obviously, we've been talking a lot about his situation and that it's evolved over time as well because the wide receiver market has just absolutely exploded this offseason. Even somewhat recently, we had a- another move with A.J. Brown, part of that 2019 receiver class. It's extension eligible, getting traded to the Eagles, signs a big deal with there. And so we're, we're all kind of waiting on McLaurin's deal um I did hear I believe in one of your interviews this week say that maybe perhaps a mistake Washington made was not being overly proactive that they didn't present Terry McLaurin with a whatever the numbers you wanted to make four years 100 million whatever and say hey yeah let's uh let's let's get let's get to going here um you know make it work so it's maybe more like a 21 22 million dollar a year kind of thing whatever I I kind of think that uh, even if they had presented that I don't know that his side would have um signed up for that because i think maybe people saw not to the degree that it was going this offseason market but that there was going to be some movement but you know we, you never know for sure and they weren't proactive i guess from the, where you sit now as far as we know terry mccorn is not going to come to camp to, to to do on-field workouts that's the last thing we've heard so there is some cost already if he's not going to do some of these things for the voluntary stuff What's your view right now of the McLaurin situation of what Washington has done, hasn't done, and where the things might be going from here? I think this is one of the biggest signals, in my opinion, of, of well-run teams and, and not well-run. And I, I frankly would put the commanders as probably the worst team in the NFL at doing this, is that there is so much potential benefit by getting deals done early. And, and I get certain situ- – every situation is different, but a guy like Terry McLaurin that's as talented as he is and also is the leader of this team, the face of this franchise – by all accounts, you know, like you usually first guy in, last guy out, you know, maybe not now that he's looking for a contract. But I, if they said here's five years, let's say 115 million, which I know sounds like a ton, but if they put that on his desk in March, I think the deal gets done. Maybe even five years, 110 million at 22 per. And yes, like you said, agents are smart. They obviously know, hey, Debo's going to be upset. AJ Brown's going to be upset. And also add in the veterans, you know, Diggs, Adams, Hill, sure. But still, I mean, we see it with Philadelphia all the time, not to you know keep picking a, a division rival, but Jordan Mailata playing on a, the left tackle, playing for $16 million per year because they went to him before he was even really the full-time starter because they knew how talented he was. They see him in practice every single day, as does Washington with Terry McLaurin, and now it's one of the best value contracts in the entire NFL. So Washington just never, ever, ever does that. And look, I like Jonathan Allen. They probably could have had him for cheaper. Deron Payne's a solid player. They might not extend him, but if they do, it's going to be for more than they needed to pay. Like, it, there are instances, I mean, Carson Wentz, where you also do that early extension, then it blows up in your face from, from Philly's perspective. But more often than not, it's a great way to get out ahead of the market and then get a solid discount deal. 
yeah, if I'm Terry McLaurin now, I mean, why would I take anything less than what AJ Brown got? Or you know, now you have Marquise Brown might get a deal from Arizona. There are so many other deals at wide receiver. And I think you just could have gotten a still very large contract from McLaurin, but one that would have aged well in six months. So speaking of large contracts, like if we had to guess right now, 22, 23 million, some sort of an average salary for him seems like it's in line with what else is happening around there. Yeah, but that said, like the Tyree Kill deal, it's essentially, if I have this right, you can tell me if I don't, strip away the funny money stuff. It's basically $25 million a year for or for three years, you know, each year, $25 million. He's the tip of the tip of the iceberg right now, or whatever, tip of the spear or whatever the, you know, he's got, he's got the most. Um, if I'm Terry McLaurin's agent, I, I might point to that. I mean, like you said, it's Terry McLaurin is not just about the stats. It's what he represents to this team as a face of the franchise type guy. The guy coaches can point to for other players and say, emulate that guy. Plus, Washington has a lot of problems. You may be aware of this. They're in the news a lot for bad, for things that people don't want to really get into. So they, from a PR perspective, Terry McLaurin losing him would be a disaster. All that said, is there a point though where it's like, hey, wait a minute. How much are we paying Terry McLaurin? Because people have heard me say, I don't really like investing a ton in receivers. I just tend to find that like, play in play out other positions give you more value and you need good receivers of course but you can kind of find guys to make it work so is there a point for you where you're like hey this terry mclaurin deal good for his agent if he keeps going for more but from washington's perspective maybe there is a point where you can't go anymore 100 percent. and I, you know to be nice to washington i actually i love that they they are believers in the build in the trenches and then kind of figure out the outside after that I, that is the philosophy that i would approach it as well um, yeah, I mean, there is. And, and maybe the, the thing is, is that we've now reached that point because of this explosion on the wide receiver market. Um, but I think McLaurin, he just knows the leverage that he has. Um, and, and so, you know, like you said, we, we might be going down a franchise tag road. I just think, like you said, there's so much negative news already. And I think that would be just even more very negative news. There's just, there can't be a, like, I know every time this happens in every fan base, even the most beloved player of all time, as soon as contract demands come in, then the whole fan base kind of flips. It's like, oh, this guy wants too much money. He should take a team discount because I root extra hard for him on Sundays. I don't see that happening with a Terry McLaurin. He just seems like a guy that everyone in Washington is on the same page about. But, I mean, look, you go out and sign Curtis Samuel for a solid contract. You take Jahan Dodson in the top half of the first round. They're at least, A, adding leverage for themselves, and B, preparing for a, a future without Terry McLaurin. Um, I just think if I was him in his camp, I would say, fine. I'm just like, I'm not going to bend to your, your will at all. I'm, I'm willing to kind of take this gamble. All right. Um, last one, Deron Payne. Um, uh, you know, again, I, I know you've talked about these guys during the week, so I imagine this topic came up. I reported here a few weeks ago that Washington is not expected to give him uh, an extension in the way that they did Jonathan Allen last summer before training camp. On the one hand, that's sort of like, well, boy, you're going to let another guy leave in free agency and potentially only get the comp pick. Um, on the other hand, there's no way you can afford to, at least in my view, to justify extending all four of these defensive linemen. Again, we've talked about this for a long time, which is why maybe they should have looked to do something earlier with him. And we talk about being proactive, but here they are and they need him to, play well this year to be successful because they don't have any depth behind him at, the, at this point for real so wh where are you at with the Duran Payne situation both in terms of kind of what their options are now and kind of how they got here yeah and so this is a different type of proactivity and I won't hold this against Washington because really no teams do it and it kind of drives me crazy but 
I said last offseason, he was the most obvious trade candidate in the world, in my opinion. I mean, a good player, Not I'm not at all saying he's bad and Washington shouldn't want him, but you cannot allocate that many resources to that position unit. There would be a market for him. And I think a team that looked at it and said, okay, we get a two-year deal for about $10 million on this guy. We'll offer a second round pick and more. I mean, he's not going to get a first, but let's say a second and a fourth, I think is what I put in an article. And that's a great trade return for, you know, a nose tackle and a guy that you don't really need. Like you said, now there's no depth behind him. You get rid of Tim Settle, you lose Matt Ioannidis. Um, Maybe you get to keep those guys if you make a move like this. So yeah, it's just, I just don't understand if you know, like you said, you're going to now take the compensatory pick after a year, or maybe you do trade them, but a team's going to say, look, we're taking out a one-year, fully guaranteed $8.5 million contract. We're not going to give you some great trade return. They'll probably just give them a third to beat a compensatory third would be the market. Um, it just it just shows a lack of foresight. Um, and I just, you know, now it's kind of just a lose-lose at this point. A hundred percent. I mean, I don't know what they could have gotten for him in, in a trade, at least last year, if you had done it, as you were suggesting, you still had Ionitis, you still had Tim Settle. Gives you reasonable options. They're not as good as Jerron Payne. But the point is, it isn't just that you would be having some guys that could fill in, but you continue to keep your whole situation afloat. You would now have, let's just say, for argument's sake, this draft, they had the 11th pick. Let's just say they stayed there and drafted Jordan Davis, the Georgia, the, the defensive lineman for Georgia that the Eagles traded up to pick two spots later. I'm not debating whether he's the right guy or not. But um, now you have a guy somewhat comparable, you hope, to Jerron Payne on a rookie deal for the next four years while you have these other guys. So you would still be able to keep young sweat Allen, have a good line, have this guy from the that's how you that's how you sustain this thing year over year over year. If you just sort of front load it. You're praying that it all works out because then you're you're not pl- you're not planning, and I think that's sort of the larger point we're discussing here with all these things is what's the planning? And maybe there's some, but it is very confusing to me. And like I said, when I hear the Carson Wentz contract screwed everybody over, that no, that's an excuse. That's not a reality, and that sort of permeates to me with kind of all everything else we talk about them uh, right now. Yeah, that hypothetical is exactly how I look at every transaction where it, the trade off is okay. Deron Payne for a season and Jahan Dotson at 16 or Jordan Davis and a second round wide receiver, both on rookie contracts for four years. Like that's, that's the trade-off. And and look, I I really am a huge fan of Jahan Dotson. I love him. Um, I think I was higher on him than than most people. Not that I'm a draft analyst, but I think he's a great player, but just those two packages, the trade-off there, in my opinion, it's a no brainer to get the two good rookie contract players. And I just, yeah, I just, you don't see a lot of those type of, you know, it doesn't, from the outside at least, it doesn't seem like they think things like that. Uh, at PFF underscore Brad is where you can find him. Go check out his view of the Washington's salary cap health as well as everything else he's got going on at Pro Football Focus. Brad, always a pleasure. Appreciate the time. And uh, look, you know, as long as the commanders keep commandering, we'll have reasons to keep uh, checking in with you. Yeah, I'll just here to listen to your rants and maybe, you know, try to lower the blood pressure a little, even though you're on vacation. So I figure, you know, you should be relaxed to a degree. <laughs> I, this is what, like I said, this is what I'm, 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 I'm ranting on the side either to myself, to Lenny, or I'm calling out random people. I was like, well, I might as well do it here and actually talk to somebody who can tell me if I'm, if I'm off, uh, if, I, if I'm off my rocker, if I'm on the right path. Uh, appreciate it, Brad. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Thank you. Sounds good.
All right. I feel like, as you can tell by my last interview, I'm in a ranty mood. So who better to help me keep the rants going than our friend from the Team 980 uh, drive time uh, afternoon host, the great Chris Russell. Chris, uh, I, I yes, uh, as you as we established, I am on vacation, and yet here I am doing a podcast. As I said, this is like part of being on vacation is like, yes, there's relaxing. It's also to be cathartic. And some of my catharsis, if that's the right word, probably not, comes from uh, comes from like, you know, venting. And like, I'm trying to like stay off of Twitter this week. I really am. Right. I've, right. I've listened to some radio and them, things like that. And things I hear drive me crazy. And this is my chance to vent and get it out of my system. We're just going to do it for work purposes as opposed to just me screaming into the void. So welcome to how thank you. Thanks for helping me uh, get, get, get through this. As always, Ben, I'm happy to ruin your vacation. How are you? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm well. I'm well. I appreciate uh, you asking and I appreciate the time. And we're going to have some football stuff. I have one reason. I mean, there's right. lots of reasons to talk to Chris. And among them, he is one of the people on the beat who really pays attention to the X's and O's and has a good feel for all that stuff and isn't just like talking nonsense. We'll get to some of that in a second, particular Scott Turner and Carson Wentz. But I, I do want to start with this. So I just had on. Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus, and we broke down various aspects of the cap. And I was talking about how there's a lot going on here uh, this week about what is Washington not doing because James Bradbury signs with the Eagles and people are using this as a as further indication of kind of what's going wrong. There's things to question. They are not spending. To me, the issue is that they're not spending at depth. The Bradbury conversation, though, is one of these ones that drives me insane because people still don't understand what it means to build a team. They just want to build fantasy rosters where you have star players. You perceive at all the positions and who gives a crap about fit or any, or ego or any of these other things. So just here's an example, Chris, you tell me where I'm wrong on this. Maybe I am. We'll see. Let's just say Washington was interested in James Bradbury. The salary cap. I'm not saying it's a total myth, but they can, as we just discussed with Brad, they could move things around. It's not, they're not just mm-hmm. hampered because of Carson Wentz. That's just Ron Rivera talking points that way too many people are just buying into. And it, that's, that was my other thing was driving me crazy. Okay. That said, let's just say they signed Bradbury to the same deal. The Eagles signed him. Mm-hmm. Where, where is he playing? What, what, what happens then? Because here's the thing, Chris, he plays exclusively on the outside. 986 mm-hmm. snaps last year outside 68 in the slot. That means he's mm-hmm. outside. Are we so therefore people just assume that Kendall Fuller is going to move into the slot? Now, I would say that based on what I saw last year, Kendall Fuller was much more effective outside than he was in the slot. And furthermore, the slot corner is different than the position that Landon Collins was playing, where you're basically using him as another linebacker. That's different, right? So the idea that like you're just going to have all these three cornerbacks and they're all going to be great and nobody will be able to complete a pass is ridiculous i have no idea where they would be playing but you would be making kendall fuller i argue worse and not necessarily helping the defense even if you did bring in bradbury who isn't Deion sanders you tell me if, if you agree with anything i just said all right so there's a million things to unpack here and i again i know you've been on vacation so you probably have not heard my rants on this because when absolute ham on my radio show by the way uh, like you mentioned, three to seven with my guy Pete Medhurst on Team Nine Eighty uh, and the Odyssey app, which I appreciate. Oh, also, Chris hosts the Locked On. Is it Locked On Commanders? I, we've changed the name. Locked On Commanders, correct? Yeah, with the David Locked Harrison On Commanders or... podcast. Yes. Apologies Absolutely. for that. Uh, no, that's okay. Um, so, so you know, I mean, you bring up 
a lot of terrific points in, in, in just your little synopsis there. Um, first of all, Kendall Fuller played, uh, and I didn't realize, Ben, and maybe you didn't, I don't know, He, play, I didn't realize he played as many snaps as he did inside last year, almost 140 in, in the slot, right? They've used him primarily as an outside right corner uh, since coming back here. Now, earlier in his career, and especially in his second breakout year, the year that he last played in his first go around with Washington. He was exclusive in the slot, right? And Kansas City used him in a blend of different ways and so on and so forth. But for the most part, Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera have used him as an outside right corner here in Washington in the last two years that he's been back. Again, I say that to kind of preface everything. You mentioned Bradbury. Not only Bradbury um, in, in terms of being largely or almost exclusively an outside corner, but also then you have to figure out, okay, what style of defense do we want to play? And clearly they played more zone last year and in 2020 than I thought they were going to last year. I thought the whole reason why you're going and signing William Jackson III and drafting Benjamin St. Juice is to play more man coverage. Well, the problem is, when you want to do something and then can't do something because a bunch of other factors don't work out, such as A, health, B, mis miscommunication all over the place, and you don't get the pass rush that you're really hoping for and ideally need to make a man press aggressive in your face defense at the line of scrimmage work on, on, the, on the boundaries. If you don't get any of that, and it's clear that they got almost none of that then last year you can't play as much man as you were originally hoping and intending to do then you take a, a step back and you say okay well maybe we need more of this and maybe we need more of that but the philosophy is still kind of the same we want to be more aggressive we want to marry our defensive line and our pass rush with our secondary and our coverage schemes, which means, again, more man, more physical, more press, more in your face, more this, more that. And that, again, is the skill set of not only William Jackson III, Benjamin St. Juice, but even if you want to look, crying out loud, the seventh round pick, Christian Holmes out of Oklahoma State, that's what he does. I don't know if he's going to be any good at it, but that's what he is. He's not his own corner. And then you look at Bradbury and say, wait a second. Bradbury's played 80% of his career, including the entire time with Ron and Charlotte, in a cover three or in a zone defense. So then you have to factor in, okay, is he a fit with not what you've done, but what you want to do? And then is he a fit beyond schematically? Is he a fit financially? in terms of what you think you need. And that goes back into what you're saying is not only would you have to presumably kick Kendall inside full time or most of the time, and that would affect the Buffalo nickel and this, that, and the other thing, but it would also say, Oh, wait a second. We're going to pay James Bradbury $10 million, just say roughly, um, you know, like you said, to match the Eagles contract. First of all, we don't know if he would only accept a one year deal from Washington sure. as he did from Philadelphia teams, two different organizations, two different perceptions and chances to win. On top of that, we're going to pay $10 million and then have what? $35 million under the cap invested in three cornerbacks between William Jackson, the third's cap charge, Kendall Fuller's cap charge, and James Bradbury's cap charge. 
that's not safeties. That's not linebackers. That's not your stud defensive line. That's not your quartet of receipt. That's not your quarterback that you're paying $29 million. That's nothing. $35 million in cap funds would have been the, the, the one year this year cost to add James Bradbury to the mix of Kendall Fuller and William Jackson third. Ben, I know there's a long rant. I never understood the fit. I never understood the desire. I never understood anything. I guarantee you from a fan's perspective, it came from, oh, that's the one Carolina commander that I know. I don't know Andrew Norwell, and I don't give a bleep about Andrew Norwell. I don't even know five-time Pro Bowl guard Trey Turner. I don't care about Trey Turner. I don't care about any of these other jabronis. That's the guy I know. And from a fan base, that's, you know, like you said, kind of fantasy bullcrap. From a media standpoint, anybody that was really aching for this, I I'm sorry, I just don't understand. I, I just don't. I, I don't think you really thought through really any anything more than surface. Ooh, that guy I know, that guy could help me. That guy should be here. Right, and I agree. And like I said, I've been off social media, so I don't know who's saying what exactly. Um, but I agree. And like just to, you know, yeah, this again, this is, this, you see this more in the NBA where just like people want to pair you know, three guys that can score 25 points a game, regardless of the fact that play the same position or you need, there's only one basketball and all these things. Right. Got to work out to, to the point of Kendall Fuller, by the way, like uh, I pulled this off of PFF before we started, he played 700 snaps last year outside, according to PFF, 212 in the slot. However, of those 212, only 24, or let, let me rephrase it. All but 24 came in weeks one through five. So that was with St. Jude's healthy, and then before right. Landon Collins right. moved. Right. Once they yeah. once Landon Collins moved, Fuller stayed outside. St. Jude's was out with concussions a lot. Also, their defense got a lot better. His his ratings uh, last year, Kendall Fuller had ratings of uh, ninety four point four or higher uh, per PFF. Again, take their grade for what it's worth. I'm just right. using it right. as an right. example. Um, he had that happen eight times. Uh, uh, oh, no, no, no. Let, let me back it up. Sorry. This is QB rating. So the, the quarterback rating against right, Kendall right, Fuller, 94.4 right. or higher, eight times. Three of those came in the first four games. They were obviously, as we know, they were really struggling last year. His better grades came week eight or later. Mm -hmm. Again, I'm not saying he can't play the slot. I'm saying, what are we even thinking about? Because if we're saying he's the Landon Collins replacement, it makes no, no freaking sense. Landon Collins was pissed off having be getting mauled by guards, but he at least is sort of that boxy defender. Kendall Fuller right. is like a pure cover guy. That's not what he's doing. So now you're just saying Washington is completely changing what it's doing. And maybe it's not, maybe it's not wrong, but we can't just say, Oh, this is just a simple fit. Just move that guy there. And it's all set. No, it's completely different. How right. you're structuring things. They didn't bring in Percy Butler to be a cover slot guy. They brought him in sure. to effectively be the Landon Collins guy. These are different deals. You can have multiple schemes and fits, but th that, that can't be your predominant one if this is what you're saying by bringing in a Bradbury. Right. All right. So let me bounce this off of you because you had these numbers in the athletic, I think it was last week, and I've used them and have, you know, of course, uh, you know, uh, paid homage uh, to you because you dug them up. Um, I think they were a nickel or, or five defensive backs or more, uh, which is some blend of three corners, two safeties or 
two corners, three safeties, i.e. the Buffalo nickel or dime or some variation of that all, about 75% of the time, meaning not in your base 4-3, four defensive backs, only about a quarter of the time or 25% of the time, roughly. And then I think, um, I think Rivera told Julie, or maybe it was Logan, I can't remember, that they used the Buffalo nickel about 53% of the time uh, last year. And to your point, right, if you're going to sign a guy like Bradbury and you're going to then kick Kendall Fuller inside full-time, which, again, he was much better at earlier in his career, not as good at last year. And, and, and I had slightly different numbers from PFF, but it, it doesn't matter. I, I mean, you know, again, whatever. I mean, Kendall Fuller was not as good in the slot last year, clearly, as he was outside. There's no denying that no matter what the numbers, you know, might be different depending on right. uh, how, we, how we pull them. So if you're going to move him, a, a, a guy who's costing you, uh, what, uh, $12, 13000000 million or whatever it is under the cap inside, then, okay, you're primarily saying we're not going to play the Buffalo nickel as much, I don't think, right? Because if you're playing three corners, the only way you can play the Buffalo nickel, then three safeties, is by having six defensive backs on the field, which you certainly can do, and you do at times, right? That's a dime defense. But that what, what do six defensive backs mean? It basically means you have your four defensive linemen, and if you choose to play that bare front of five defensive linemen, which they did a bunch of last year, and now with Fenaria Mathis, well, six and five doesn't leave you any linebackers, and I know the Buffalo Nickel is a quasi-linebacker, but, it, it, but, but if you go six defensive backs as a primary look this year, then basically you're talking about playing four defensive linemen, one linebacker, which presumably would be Cole Holcomb, but then that means Jamin Davis is not on the field growing and developing and using his athleticism. So he's not getting any better. So, I mean, it creates other layers of questions and issues. If you were to sign Bradbury, here's the other thing. And I, I know I'm crazy about this, but you know, Benny, uh, there's no doubt that they like James Bradbury. They like him as a player. They like him as a person, all of that stuff. Who wouldn't? But liking, I like you, but I would cut off my left arm for you. you, you I, know? I, I would do that for you, for the record. But oh, okay, well maybe I would do it for you. I was just trying to, I was just trying to make it a, a corollary example. You know, what, I guess what I'm trying to say is they like the player, they think the player is a good fit, but can I get them? Can I squeeze him in for one year, $10 million, essentially, by the time, you know, maybe the incentives don't all come true and you don't have to pay all of that money, but I've got to be prepared to pay that money, number one. Number two, what if he wants two guaranteed years from a bad team or from a team that is not poised to really, at least perception-wise, compete for the Super Bowl like the Philadelphia Eagles seem to be? What if he wants more than one guaranteed year? I don't know if he did or he didn't. Maybe there was a tax to be with a, again, lesser organization that we don't know about. So there's all of these things that you throw into the hopper. And what it spits out to me is, um, and, and I try not to defend the organization blindly. I try and defend the organization when it makes sense to me. I have zero problems 
zero problem with them not going after Bradbury. And I don't even know if they did or they didn't. I'm, I'm telling you, this has nothing to do with any inside conversations. This is all your boy's mind overworking the situation here. But I think I'm more right than anybody that's saying, no, they should have, they, they should have done this. They're cheap. They're this, they're, they're, they're dumb. They're stupid. They're not. No, 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 no. You're not thinking about the layers that it creates, which I think we just covered covered in, in, in a long-winded rant here. Right. No, no. Again, you're you're 100% right. First, I mean, and just to sort of to emphasize how right you are, if, if instead of it being James Bradbury, it was the exact same player, but this guy played his career with the Bears or the Bengals or the Seahawks or somebody that had nothing to do with Ron Rivera, right. nobody would be talking about this, right, at all, period. We're only doing it because of the Carolina connection, thus labeling them, whatever people are saying about them for not having done this. Also, this is the larger issue for me. James Bradbury is only getting mentioned because he just happened in isolation. Nobody else is available. He just became free, all that stuff. What about the dozens of dozens of people they didn't sign throughout the last two months? Because when I look at this defense right now, and I talked about this a little bit earlier, other than if we say Fedarian Mathis, we'll just, let's just say he's a viable reserve based on being a second-round pick, but we haven't seen him play. They don't have a single player on defense who I would classify as a viable reserve based on what we've seen them play. Not one. I mean, you can't like, uh, yeah, James with Williams did some decent things last year. So did Casey Tuhill, Danny Johnson, when he got thrown into the slot, all did reasonable things. You need that. But if we're talking like, who's your starting lineup? And then do you have the guys who can really kind of mm -hmm. come in and play? They don't have anybody. And if you, and, and a linebacker, <laughs> I keep making this point. You tell me, Chris, the Jacksonville Jaguars win the opening, the, 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 you know, the Jags get the ball first, game one, FedEx field, the opening drive of the 2022 season. Washington plays its 4-3 base on first down. Who's the third linebacker? Well, I don't and, even have a clue who it would be yeah, right now. And, and this is something that Pete and I have discussed at length. And, um, you know, again, I've covered on my own podcast. Uh, you know, podcast uh, just a couple of days ago when Cole Holcomb, and I don't know if you saw this, but, you know, Cole Holcomb basically said to, I think it was Julie, uh, and the commander's site put it out, you know, like, I'm the man, I'm taking over the defense, da-da-da-da-da. Well, is that in 4-3 base? We talked about 75% of the time you're in sub, right? Uh, which means some form of a linebacker, maybe even two, are out. Well, we, we, we presume Cole Holcomb is going to be on the field as long as he's healthy, pretty much 100% of the time. But in base, 4-3, like you said, week one, drive one, where they've been carved up like a Thanksgiving turkey, by the way, the first two years uh, and the first two games at home against Carson Wentz and the Eagles, against uh, Justin Herbert and the Chargers. So, oh, like, you might want to try something different, Jack, uh, and Washington's deep. You know, the answer to me is in base 20-ish percent of the time is David Mayo right now, unless you go out and sign, and I know you've kicked around some of these names, Joe Schobert, uh, Nick Kwiatkowski. Uh, there's a dude out in, uh, in Vegas, uh, um, and I forgot his name, uh, Nick Morrow, that I think is still out there that Jack worked with in his rookie year, who's undrafted. Maybe you bring in late a guy like that. Maybe a guy gets cut right before camp or after June 1st. I mean, there's all sorts of machinations that we can come up with, but right now, Right now, it seems like in base, which again, they're not in a whole lot, it would seem to me that David Mayo is going to be your Mike, uh, Cole Holcomb is going to be your strong or your Sam, and, and Jamin Davis is going to be your weak. Now, that again is subject to change, but 
I think the bigger picture is, and, and again, I know you uh, did some reporting on this as well, um, you know, and stuff that I've talked about as well is they need another probably veteran defensive tackle. That might be a star Latululele guy, a, a guy who does have, again, connections, of course, with Ron in Carolina. Oh, and by the way, in Buffalo, which is Carolina, you know, Northwest or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, on the back end, well, you need a veteran corner, right? I, I mean, there's other guys out there. I'm not saying, you know, but maybe a guy like Joe Hayden, who is a veteran, who is still out there, who's from the area, who's a little bit slower afoot. But if you're not asking him to play a thousand snaps a year, maybe you can get away with a guy like Joe Hayden on a one-year veteran-ish minimum contract with maybe some incentives. And now you're you're adding depth. You're adding veteran savvy and experience. You're providing what you just said is backup options in case St. Juice goes down, in case William Jackson goes down again, in case uh, your defensive tackles, in case Daron, uh, which is what Robert Griffin III called him, Daron Payne goes, <laughs> uh, or Jonathan Allen, or Fedarian Mathis, or whatever. I mean, you know, so again, it's all part of the puzzle. And if you go and blow your proverbial stack, on one guy at one position, sure, you might bolster your team there, might, but then you don't have the resources to spread around your other needs, like you said, linebacker, interior, defensive tackle, so on and so forth. Right, right. And like I said, like, like to me, this is just like, if you want to be outraged over them not spending, it isn't about Bradbury. It's about all these other things. Why are they not adding depth? And that's the part, and we talked about this with Brad for uh, Spielberger from PFF about that aspect of it. And that's what to me is, is sort of curious about what are they doing? And by the way, they still have time. It's been pointed out. The season doesn't start till September, right? So they still have plenty of time to sign guys. But if Jack Del Rio is going to come out and say that last year's uh, slow start was because they didn't have full participation in phase two, not phase three, phase two, which has already happened, then I don't want to hear about it. When you That's don't sign, point. when you don't sign guys until now, uh, we're talking on Friday. They they open OTAs of Monday, Tuesday. If they're not here and you bring them in later, I don't want to hear that you that this is that important if you didn't bring them in for relatively shekels because none of these guys left are going to be signing for you know three, four, five, six million a year based on the people who are there. If there's a, a truly surprise cut post June one, okay, but like. Bring them in now. This is such a big deal that last year you, you feel your offseason was screwed because guys weren't there. Ben, I, th I think that's a really good point, one that I didn't consider because I've been of the thought, hey, you know, there'll be guys after June 1st when, you know, again, you don't have to carry that contract like they are currently Landon College. And sure, they'll get, you know, this, this big savings after June 1st from Landon when his contract officially comes off the books, but you got to carry the contract all the way until then, right? Um and 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 um and to your point, because I, I I heard Jack say that last week, and I, I didn't think of it quite in the context that you're so I've been kind of saying to anybody that's been outraged that they haven't spent a ton of money is a they don't really have it because of what they chose to do with Landon. That's their decision, not mine. Uh, I would have done the earlier whack uh and just you know, whatever. Um but on top of that, like you said, it's kind of like double talk out of your mouth. Jack's out here saying because Chase wasn't there, because I guess some other guys weren't there in May of last year, let's just call it. 
and into June that that really affected communication. I don't disagree that he, I don't disagree that he feels that way or that that is maybe the reality. But if your point is, if you, then you're going to wait to sign guys until after June 1st and or in August sometime. Well, again, that's not, it's not marrying what you're talking about. Here's the problem. I think a lot of, this is just me, not Ben standing. I think Ron and to a much lesser degree, Jack, because Jack usually doesn't say anything. Uh, but I think Ron and this coaching staff, a lot of times, just talks and talks and talks and talks and talks and says things that are on their mind and have their talking points, but they don't understand that some of us out here, and, and again, I give you full credit for this because I didn't think about this, but some of us out here are like, wait a second, it doesn't make sense. That doesn't match up with what you're saying. And, and then it's like, oh, yeah, 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 we'll change the message because the message needs to be changed or updated or postured or whatever. And, and that's why people get frustrated when they hear one thing in May and then, wait a second, it doesn't make sense, as you just pointed out. Or like when you say, no, 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 we're not going to blow out Dustin Hopkins. No, 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 we're going to keep Dustin Hopkins. We believe in him. And then a week later, you're blowing him out for some guy who's never kicked in seven years. Like, like some of the messages don't make sense and they don't marry together with the philosophy that you're trying to, I think, convey and that you're certainly operating by. And you just brought up a perfect, perfect example. Right. And I'm going to steal that from you, by the way. Uh, I will give you credit, but I'm going to steal that from you because it's a really, really good point. Fair, fair enough. Um, and look, I mean, I'm not. I live in a realistic world. They can't tell us the truth at all times or even most of the time. Mm -hmm. Ron, whoever is Ron Rivera and Ron Rivera talks. His, his talking is better for us than most of the coaches who say yes. almost nothing. Yes. So we're happy that he does. And yes, there is the occasional wait. That doesn't really make any sense. You're, you're, you're touting your top six, your, your six rated offensive line. And then you get rid of two guards. Right. Okay. Whatever. Um, but that's why it's important to not take everything at face value and actually think about it. I ranted earlier and I don't know where you're at and we don't have to get into this, but like I ranted earlier about the idea that they're not uh, taking some of the Carson Wentz money and moving it to latter years is a sign that people are saying that this shows their lack of interest in their, their lack of belief in him long-term. And I'm like, that is nuts. The best part of the Carson Wentz trade was that they are not hooked on to anything. Right. And now you want to make yes. it worse when right. they can do other things on the cap. This is an example. Just because Ron Rivera says something doesn't mean it's actually true. Okay. Right. And by the way, like to, to your point, you know, the people say, well, if they're not, if they're not pushing the money back, it's an indication that they don't believe in him. You know, what's an indication of belief in Carson Wentz that he wouldn't automatically do it. You know, cause who, you know, who believes in Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz, he doesn't, he's not looking at this going, boy, I suck. I can't believe anybody would have me as a quarterback. I should take any money they would offer me for future years because I'm never getting paid again. 0.0% chance he thinks that. And why mm -hmm. would he? He's still, for as bad as people act like he was last year, 27 touchdowns, seven uh, picks. Whatever Mitch Trubisky got right now, Wentz would still have to suck a lot more to get less than that or to get equal or less than that. He's going to have a chance to, uh, again, look, if, if, if things go completely south, then they screw. I mean, you know, that that's why this trade is really interesting because we don't know where this is going to go. And this may be a, a complete disaster, but the, the money in future years for Carson Wentz is not an indication of crap. And like, you, let, let's get to some, some fun stuff with Carson Wentz though. Um, 
I, you know, people, you know, there's this question of like, how good is he going to be? And but but I don't, I don't know. Well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of concerns. We, we've talked a lot about a bunch. He's, uh, his unwillingness to historically take some of the layups that are out there um, in terms of like passes to the running backs that hurts the completion percentage. It leads to maybe forcing the ball into traffic, holding the ball too much to more sacks. The decision-making has been some questionable. That's on top of maybe some of the other factors that the Colts complained about. But the reason why you make the move for him over Taylor Heineke is because of the upside. Uh, Taylor Heineke effectively hit his ceiling last year. Very good year. Exceeded all expectations. Nothing but praise for Taylor Heineke to get them to seven wins. But getting to 10, 11, 12, that's just not going to be realistically in his bag unless the defense became the 85 Bears kind of thing, right? Which isn't to say Will with Carson Wentz. It's to say because of the potential that he has, that he's a, that you can open up the playbook in ways that were just not as possible before. And not just with Taylor Heineke, they had all kinds of random quarterbacks for the last two years that this is now Scott Turner's opportunity to really un- show what he can do. And I think Scott Turner's done a pretty reasonable job the last mm-hmm. couple of years. I know people will point to certain numbers or just whatever. Again, we can't have this conversation of they have no quarterback and blame that then blame him because it's mm-hmm. not working out. But they now do have a quarterback who can do all the stuff. You can pretty much turn to anywhere in the playbook you want now. They added a bunch of offensive. They, they, you know, they add uh, Jahan Dotson. You think Curtis Samuel is going to be back. They, they add a running back in Brian Robinson that gives them that sort of hammer that they didn't have before. Mm-hmm. I really am curious to me, almost as much as I am with Carson Wentz, what happens with Scott Turner this year? What, what are you kind of looking for to see from the Scott Turner perspective uh, for, for this year? All right, so this is uh, so this is interesting to unpack. I'm right there with you about Scott Turner and not being able to fully judge him because he hadn't had a, a true starting quarterback to work with. Uh, no offense to Alex Smith, no offense to Taylor Heineke, no offense to the now late Dwayne Haskins, uh, you know uh, Kyle Allen, all that. I mean, it's been you know a jambalaya at quarterback to say the least. Okay, Ryan Fitzpatrick lasted a quarter. Okay, um, so all of that being said. All of that being said, um, I think this is the first year we can truly judge Scott Turner. I think what he's done through two years is not remarkable, but it's better than if you would have told me everything that has happened over the last two years would have happened. I would have said this would be a subpar offense. And that's basically what it's been. And maybe at times it's been average, but it's, you know, it's basically what it's been. Um, However, Here's where I kind of go off the board a little bit. And I don't know how you dis- uh, agree, disagree, or feel about this. I was talking about this on my radio show on Thursday, Ben, um, because there's, you know, there's all these complaints from, you know, all the people that watch film and know more about football than me, that Scott doesn't marry his run game, uh, the run game with the play action game, like Kyle Shanahan, like Sean McVay does, maybe like Matty LaFleur does. You know, all of the guys that come from the Mike Shanahan, Kyle Shanahan tree, all that. And I, I'm not smart enough to understand yay or nay. I'll take their word for it, that maybe they don't do as good of a job doing that as, you know, as, as those guys do. Okay. Scott Turner didn't fall off of a tree yesterday. He, he wasn't born yesterday. He comes from his dad one of the best offensive coordinators in the history of the NFL, right? I think he probably knows a little bit more than your average nickel and dime ham and egger on Twitter, okay? Just saying. That's the guess. 
in your avid video watcher, tape cutter, whatever. Just say. So with Carson Wentz in the fold, and even think about it with Sam Howell drafted, and I don't, I hope Sam Howell doesn't play this year. That's a bad sign if Sam Howell plays this year. But they have signaled to me they want to be a deep vertical, aggressive, push the ball downfield offense. Now, here's my question. We talk about marrying run game, play action, this, that, and the other thing. The head coach over and over and over again has gone out and said, you know, we need to play ball more like we did during the four-game winning streak. We need time of possession. We need to run. We need to be physical, smash mouth, dominate this, that, and the other thing. Can Scott Turner marry those two principles, those two concepts, those two philosophies? What his head coach has said, at least on the record, and Ron is not stupid. He's not, he understands, okay, and I know I get a lot of ribbing for wanting to run the ball. Ron's not stupid. He understands you got to push the envelope in order in today's NFL. It's not 1975 anymore. It, hell, it's not 1995 anymore, right? Um, he knows that you have to open up the passing game in order to have success in today's NFL. So you have Ron's philosophy of what he'd ideally like to do and Scott's philosophy, not that he stated this, I don't think, maybe he has, but what they, what weapons they have, Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, Deami Brown, a strong, big-time armed quarterback. He may not be great at the underneath stuff, some of the decisions under pressure. One thing Carson Wentz is really, 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 really good at is the deep vertical pass outside the hashes, in over the middle of the field, what have you. That's a strength of his. So you have to use that. You have to marry that. You have to have that as your, I guess, part of your DNA, much more than Scott has been able to do over the last two years when he had a bunch of, quite honestly, weaker arms. Kyle Allen, Alex Smith, Taylor Heineke. You can't do everything that you want to do when you don't have the ingredients to do it. Now they have the ingredients, provided that everybody stays reasonably healthy, I would expect a much more aggressive, over-the-top attacking offense. Not every play, not every series, not every quarter, not every whatever, but every game you are going to see probably five or so what I would consider deep shots. And you know, I would consider that to be, in my lexicon, 25-plus yards down the field, something like that. I don't know if you disagree, agree, whatever, but I think that's what you're going to see. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I mean, unless this is some weird deal, like they took William Jackson, a man cornered, and said, you go play zone, and you're like, uh, but this doesn't really fit. So unless they say to Carson Wentz, hey, we know you don't like throwing underneath, but we just want you to throw underneath. Like, it's, that, I'm assuming that the point is, they're going to have Carson Wentz to go down the field. Right. That's why they bring they they spend the first pick. Right. They didn't need another receiver per se, but you know they went right. and spent the first pick on another receiver in Dodson with McLaurin with Samuel. You know what type of tight end did they draft? They drafted a receiver tight end. They didn't mm -hmm. draft a blocker yeah. uh, tight tight yep. end. And, and yes, I know Brian Robinson is a, a more of a hammer running back. But it also allows you to put Gibson, I think, out in space where I think he's mm -hmm. more, 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 more Correct. effective. I think the one thing that and makes Mc, it and, and McKissick can line up out wide too. I mean, don't forget about yeah. that. He did a lot of that in Seattle specifically. Did a lot of that in Seattle. I, I I'm with you, man. Um, you know, you know, God, there's so many things I want to talk about here. So I'm sorry for commanding your podcast. <laughs> 
But I mean, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I mean, this is going to be a, as long as Carson Wentz is playing. Now, here, here's my question to you, right? What do you do? What happens if Carson gets injured, which he's been injured a lot in his career? Now, he has played the two, two of the last full regular, two of the three last full regular seasons. So maybe there's some data that suggests. And I asked Ron about this at the Wentz press conference uh, in one of the side sessions, you know, and he said that's one of the reasons why we bought in was because he was able to stay fully healthy last year in Indianapolis. Well, he did that in his second of last year in Philadelphia as well, right? But then he's got this other injury history. And we just know the, the nature of this franchise, right? Again, Ryan Fitzpatrick, never injured, boom, lasts a quarter. Out for the year, never to be seen again until he's, you know, bearded uh, and shirtless in Buffalo, right? Uh, I mean, so what happens if Carson Wentz gets injured first game of the year, uh, in training camp, preseason, whatever, then can you, like, if you got to go back to Taylor Heineke, Ben, can you do the type of offense that you're presumably hoping to do? Or do you have to, again, tailor it down to a more short intermediate and then take your occasional deep shot type offense? Right. Well, actually, and you know, right. that's, yeah, yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, that's uh, the, the a layer of like, you yes. know, what, what what speculation it's almost like hard to even get into and i almost even want to imagine another world in which the starting quarterback once again gets hurt i would just say on some level that i do part of me does wonder while taylor heineke would obviously give you the best chance to win on that given sunday versus sam howe to your point of the playbook sam howe my other than the fact that he lacks experience would be closer to carson wentz from a down the mm -hmm. field angle he's you know somehow more or less it's got the it's a combination of the two he's got taylor heineke's moxie but carson wentz is maybe, maybe not an exact arm strength but he's got a, a better arm strength than mm -hmm. than heineke so that would actually be interesting if the injury were to happen say midway through the season if they think that sam howe is ready to to to, right. to go and things like that um right. but and yeah, that's no. why and that's why i qualified it by saying early because sam howell's not ready for week one so that to me that's not even a like consideration. So you would almost have to go to Heineke if something happened to Wentz. Right. Right. So. And, and, and I would say like, to your point of like marrying things together, I think they've done a pretty good job with Carson Wentz figuring out what he does, what, you know, what, what they need for him. They added, you know, Dotson's not a big receiver, obviously, but is a receiver. They add the size with Cole Turner. Uh, Wentz does well, historically going to, to bigger receivers. It's why I think Cam Sims mm -hmm. shouldn't be slept on, even though they sleep I on agree. him every year. <laughs> By, 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 by with the lack of targets but he's the one receiver they have that does have some size don't know what this does for deami brown but probably not great uh barring injuries although i still like i think uh, i still kind of like him um so yeah it's going to be interesting to see they add all these running you've got all these running backs i think that's going to be uh wild to see so for you i guess at this point um we're going into otas you know this week what what for you? I mean, we've just hit on a bunch of different things. Is there something else for you that kind of stands out as what you're kind of curious to see, if, even if it's not about OTA per se, but just your maybe your big question or something you're kind of curious to see anywhere on this uh, field uh, for these guys? Yeah, I mean, I do want to see, um, you know, and again, there's only so much you can tell in shorts and shells and helmets, okay? So this is going to be more a training camp, preseason, and then regular season evolution thing. I want to see if, if they use Percy Butler as a single high center field safety type. 
Um, you know, and again, you, you can do a bunch of different things with a skill set like him, but but how quickly can they get to a point where they trust him, if they ever do, to be that single high center field safety that, you know, back in his prime, the Earl Thomas, the Ed Reed type, where they trust him to rotate over and cover the entire field, basically, side to side. Do they eventually get to that point where they can trust him? Um, you know, again, I don't know if that happens in OTAs. But I would say last year, I don't know if we all expected Jamin Davis to be the Mike from the start of OTAs uh, and and not and 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 to be used that way, right? So so OTAs I think are a time where you can experience uh, experiment more, find out what a kid has. You know what? Deep vertical offense. We were just talking about it. Let me drop Carson Wentz back in a seven-step drop where nobody can touch him, and let me throw bombs after bombs after bombs and see if Percy Butler can handle it as that quote-unquote pencil eraser, single high center field safety, so you know, or at least you get a feel, hey, can he close? Can he diagnose? Can he read? Can he hold, you know, all of that stuff. It helps your offense. I think it helps your defense. So that's one storyline. Well, that just, to, just to ask about Butler, are you anticipating, at least based on your view of Butler, that eventually he's the free safety and Ken, and uh, Cam Curl goes yep. back to that sort of Buffalo nickel? That's how you're seeing it? Yeah, because I think Bobby McCain, even though he's not a quote-unquote strong safety body, I think he's physical enough and he's got enough grit that I think he can play in today's interchangeable, you know, almost positionless type defenses. I think he can play, you know, if you wanted to play too deep, you know, covering half the field, I think he and, 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 um, uh, and Percy Butler could be a good pairing back there. If you want to drop down, like you said, Cam Curl into that Buffalo nickel at slash, you know, linebacker-ish type role in the box, off the edge, all that stuff, blitzing, uh, all of that, if you're, again, in your Buffalo three safety package. Now, uh, what I'm so, – so that's one thing I'm curious. The other, the other thing that I'm curious um, is, okay, um, you mentioned Brian Robinson. A lot of people are sleeping on this, and I think a lot of the draft Knicks, and I think they did some of this at rookie minicamp, but I wasn't there, so I was – you know, in talking to people, they said this. Uh, but again, in rookie minicamp is so hard to tell. Do they use him more of a receiver or more as a receiver? And how do they develop that part of his game? He was actually not bad at Alabama in last year. I think he had like 35 catches on 37 targets or something like that, Ben, for almost 300 yards. And here's why that's important. If you plan on Brian Robinson being your hammer, right? Your your traditional first and second back. You mentioned Antonio Gibson split out. I, I I mentioned J.D. McKissick. You can use him in a couple of different ways. And of course, we know J.D. McKissick's the quote unquote third down back. Well, if Brian Robinson's in there and you're never going to target him in the pass game, the swing game, the screen game, whatever it might be, well, then that's a telltale sign to an opposing defense that we're going to probably run the ball here, right? 65% of the time, 70, 75, 80%, whatever it is. Whereas if I develop Brian Robinson in the passing game, and if I show that eventually on tape, i.e. in the preseason, or if it gets out in the media sphere, or early in the regular season, then if I'm an opposing defense, I can't sit there and say, oh, Brian Robinson's on the field. 80% of the time, their tendency is to run when Brian Robinson is in the field on the field on first down, well, duh, I'm going to key on that. I'm going to guess, and I'm going to gamble that. Whereas if you throw to him 
and you develop or continue to develop that part of his game, Ben, I think that helps you ultimately in terms of not over over telegraphing what you're going to do when a guy like Brian Robinson is on the field. And, and maybe even the same thing as Cole Turner. You mentioned him again. He's not a true inline tight end. Well, guess what, son? We don't get to just do what we did at Nevada here. So I need Cole Turner to be at least semi-proficient in being lined up next to the right tackle or the left tackle, being in line, semi-proficient, so I don't automatically go, oh, red zone, red zone, Cole Turner split out wide, they're going to him. I can't have that. I can't have an over-telegraphing of what we're going to do. I know you have to play to a player's strengths, but this is the time to work on different things that a player might not have as a strength, if that makes sense. For sure. And, you know, it's interesting because you're right. Like if he does have somebody come in for a very specific role at, over and over again, the defense is going to be aware of this. The other problem, though, of course, though, is, and again, this problem is a relative term. This does sort of connect with how we talked about before about just adding James Bradbury and people think you're good. If you say that Washington has Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick and Brian Robinson, boy, that's a pretty interesting dynamic. But you have a quarterback in Carson Wentz who throws to running backs very infrequently relative to the other quarterbacks in the league. His biggest, One of his biggest knocks is the inability to take the basic check down to the mm-hmm. running back. Naheem Himes, his, his receptions last year dropped. There are a few other factors like Jonathan Taylor is pretty good, but uh, that's an example of that. where's McKissick going to catch a pass? Like, I mean, if you're telling me that Brian Robinson is going to be a little bit more of that, maybe an early down back or a guy you're going to use to help sort of uh, ball control the way Rivera was saying, and Gibson, you still obviously want to use a lot. How are you getting McKissick out there? And this, and I know you can't, when they made the the decision to bring him back, you couldn't have known two months later, you would draft Brian Robinson, but these these Mm -hmm. are the types of things we're discussing. Like, right. Got to have some plan. And if you, I've been talking for weeks before free agency months at this point that I thought they wanted to add another running back in part because Gibson wasn't the bell cow guy that they maybe were trying to be. So you had to know in your head that you might. And this is an example of like, when you, it isn't just willy nilly, just sign people and bring people in. What's the plan. And this is the part I'm not saying it's negative. I'm saying I'll be surprised almost if they actually maximize all three running backs, because I don't see how they're going to get, as the usage again, they have all these receivers too. It's not like they're going two running right. backs the whole time. Uh, I, I mean, I, I certainly see where you're coming from, and it's 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 going to be difficult, and probably somebody is going to get squeezed, right? Whether it be a McKissick or you know uh, who you know maybe it's a, you know uh, a Diami Brown who you mentioned earlier who just doesn't get enough looks or targets or whatever. We'll we'll try and figure that out. Here here would be my counter to all of that is as I try and philosophically and and kind of in my own mind look at this offense and what it might be, right? We talked about the deep attack want or desire, which matches what the quarterback's strength is. You talked about how things didn't exactly work with Naheem Hines, and maybe that was because of Jonathan Taylor. Maybe it was because Carson didn't feel comfortable. Maybe it's because Carson's not good at getting the ball checkdowns, all this stuff. Well, first of all, Carson better get better at that, number one, right. okay? Number one. Number two, and that's on him. Number two, 
I think by design, Scott Turner can help him by saying, look, big guy, um, we're going to take advantage of your booming arm, but this offense still, when we are passing the football, has to be predicated on the quick passing game. And I know Ron Rivera mentioned that a thousand times in, in one press conference and two side sessions when they introduced Carson. And I even asked him about that. And I said, you know, is that part of the game in today's day and age in the NFL more important than the deep vertical game? And he said, well, not really. You know, that I went on his answer, whatever. But I mean, we all know that's how Drew Brees, that's how Tom Brady, that's how, you know, a lot of these great successful quarterbacks, even Patrick Mahomes at times operate and live and prosper. It's the quick game. It's the short passing game. It's the screens to the not just checkdowns. There's a difference between checkdown and design screen and design short, quick passing game. So to me, when I say this offense is going to be much more vertical, yes, but they have to live. They have to live in this neighborhood of quick game and passing and getting the ball out by design to the running backs so that you can then take your deeper shots as you get defenses that are creeping up. You show me a tendency to do this. I'm going to creep up and adjust my flag. Boom. And then I go over the top, you know, that so, so this is what I'm really fascinated by. And what I say, like, how does Scott Turner marry all of this? The philosophy of the head coach, the philosophy of him, the philosophy of the quarterback, and then the talent and the and the ability that they now have really to attack a team on all three levels and to do it interchangeably or or verse you know whatever the word that I'm looking on an interchangeable basis where you're not just saying woohoo look at me JD McKissick I'm on the field and you're going to throw me a screen no 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 you don't want that you don't want that so that's what I'm talking about uh, and I think what you're also getting at is they have to be more proficient in that area. And I think that's going to help Carson Wentz, if he can do it, go from what was his passing percentage last year, 63% or whatever it was. I mean, he's got to be in the 66, 67% neighborhood, or this team is not going to be good on offense. It's just not going to be good. Right. And, and you but know, you do that is by using the running back screens naturally, not just on checkdowns, Roy Hallou style. Or <laughs> hello, right? No, I'm with you. And you know, and just to be clear, because I know, like, as I play back in my own head, like what I'm saying, like it, it tends to become across as being more critical. Like I said, I think Scott Turner's done a pretty reasonable job, and I'm legitimately mm -hmm. interested to see what he does with a quarterback who has all the tools you want. Plus, now you've got three wide receivers just at the top, not even counting Cam Sims or Deami Brown, who could be a really interesting dynamic. You get Logan Thomas back. Uh, you know, John Bates did some decent things with Cole Turner, the the three running backs that are pretty interesting and an offensive line that's got some changes, but should be at least pretty good, pretty solid. I'm curious to see what this group can do. And I think there's some good things. I would, again, just say when you plan these things out, imagine a world in which like you have Terry McLaurin and Curtis Samuel. If you have in your head, you want to draft a Brian Robinson type running back. I would think that means I'm going to use Gibson and McKissick more at receiver. So maybe I don't actually have to spend the first round pick on a receiver. Plus I already have Sims and De'Ami Brown. And then instead they spend that first round pick on, I don't know, somebody for the defense, uh, 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 another cornerback, uh, uh, the linebacker, whatever, how it all looks together is how we'd be looking at it. Instead, they kind of went overload 
at positions they already had some a lot of value at receiver running back while not going hard at, uh, in on defense completely that's why it's all interesting to see how it unfolds i don't have all the answers chris has most of the answers but not all the answers um and we'll see what happens i mean that's why we start yeah. these otas we get to go in person and we get to see which players have taken a step up and which ones have fallen back and right. that's where this all journey begins and that's why it's all interesting it's just you know when we're all having the conversations about this stuff i just like to let logic kick in and just wait so many times i hear from certain in, in certain areas that where we just want to put the logic on the side and just pretend certain things exist that don't necessarily exist um what does exist though is the chris russell pete medhurst uh extravaganza monday to friday three to seven three to seven yep three to yep. seven three to seven um, on the team uh 980 you can listen to chris on the locked on commanders podcast as well and uh follow chris on twitter at wrestlemania 621 as always whenever chris is on i always say just be nice you know just just be nice. you know a lot of a lot more people are just ignoring me ben you know and anything that i say good or bad or smart or antagonistic so in, in a way i've i've really become almost persona non grata on twitter wow in a way I, I think people have just tuned me out. Maybe they've all muted me. I don't know. Uh, you know, but but they listen to you and, and JP Finley a lot more. When JP Finley sneezes, he gets 700 retweets on Twitter. Well, so it's a, pre- it's a pretty impressive sneeze. Plus, like, you know, we're two, we're, we both went to BCC high school. So maybe there's something to be said for that. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> I mean, listen, they what they should do is follow my guy and 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 religiously. Think about what you post, because I know I know that you're doing your homework when you put something out there. And, um, you know, we're friends, obviously. So I'll just say this for those in your audience that don't know this. um, There is there. Seriously, there is nobody that has worked harder to get to where he is right now than Ben Standing. And the amount of stories and nuggets and insight and uh, insider info or whatever uh, that you provide in the athletic and on the radio when you're doing shows on Odyssey DC, uh, whether it be 106.7 or, or 980, uh, and, and on this podcast, the Standing Room Only podcast, um, the amount of insight and information and nuggets that you provide is uh, second to none. So kudos to you, my friend, uh, and um, I appreciate you as always having me. Wow, that was a really long ringtone. I'm going to have to figure out how to get now. Uh, the, the Chris, whatever you just said, I'm going to have that when people call me. That's what's going to be uh, what I'm what you're going to hear on my phone. No, uh, I appreciate it's, it's it. the Chris Russell soliloquy <laughs> of Ben Standing. I pre- I pre- standing soliloquy. There you go. I appreciate oh, the kind words. Standing serenade. How about that? The standing serenade. Deal. I I, I appreciate the kind words, Chris. Uh, and and uh, you know. It's going to be it's going to be interesting as it always is we'll be out there uh this week uh to check out what's going on and follow uh, go listen to chris on the team 980 and uh we locked on uh, commanders podcast my guy thanks as always i appreciate you pal have a great weekend all right big big thanks to brad spielberger and chris russell for their time and of course thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast checking out my work on the athletic and all that good stuff. Reports, of course, will come this week from OTAs. We will see uh, what they have to offer us in the first, you know, look at this team on the field. Uh, but that is it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.